hey, let me invite our children who would like to come down. We're going to have some of our, our kids are going to be with us for part of the year, for part of the summer. It's just kind of get a chance to see what you do, but we always provide them with a Bible-based activity sheet. So the younger ones are on this side and the older ones are on this side, all right? So come on down and grab those. And while we're doing that, it's great to have Nathan and Vicki Horvath with us. They got married in January, went on, they went on their honeymoon, and then moved to New York and never came back and saw us. And it was the first time they've been with us, so they're sitting here in the front row with Leo, and it's great to have them back with us. <laughs> All right. And while they're doing that, you can grab your Bibles and open up to Luke chapter 16. It's going to page 887 in our Bibles. All right. Steve, you're too old. They can, you can just give them the clipboards from the other side if you want. They can just put them on top, right? So they'll have something to write on? Cool. In case you're curious, you can just have the kids drop their clipboards back off in the bucket at the end. All right. Hey, you know, it is, it is a patriotic weekend, if you will, and... Um, so I want to take just a moment and pray for our nation, uh, pray for its leadership in the world. So let's just take a moment and do that. All right. One left. Somebody did a good job of counting. What a serious note to go into our prayer on, right? There we go. Hey, let's pray together. God, thanks for just the privilege being together in this place this morning, to be among friends, being among people who are really interested in, and have a real openness to God speaking into their lives, to be among a people who are eager to use the gift of prayer and the impact that it can make. And so, Father, as we pause today, we are grateful that we live in a nation where we don't have to pull the shades down on the windows as we gather for worship. We don't have to be fearful that they're going to come and arrest us, but that we can openly and freely worship you, learn about you, try to live out our faith in this world. Uh, and God, we're grateful for that. We're grateful for the, the many, many lives that were sacrificed in order to make that possible. We're grateful for the founding fathers who took such great risks with their own personal lives, with their own personal liberty, so that we can enjoy freedom. We, we we are grateful for all of those along the way who have chosen the rule of law over personal ambition and helped make our country what it is today. But we know it's also a country that's in need. Uh, we'd love to be able to call it a Christian country, a godly country, but Father, that just wouldn't be accurate. And so Father, we, we pray today that you would use the sons and, daughter of, and daughters of light, those of us who truly look to you for leadership and for wisdom and for guidance, that you use us as the light of the world and the salt in the earth, uh, even in our own neighborhoods, in our own towns, in our state, in our country. God, we are grateful for those who have been willing to lead, to step up as our representatives here in our state or to represent our state in the federal government, to those who will serve at the federal level and you know, Father, I, I may have some differences of opinions with our president from time to time, but God, I wouldn't want his job. And so, Father, I pray for him today. I pray for all of the staff that's around him that's feeding him information. I, 
I, I pray for the leaders of Congress that he interacts with. Father, I pray for our governor and I pray for the governors of our nation. Father, what they do affects a lot of lives here and around the world. And so, Father, I pray for them today. And, Father, you clearly, in, in the scriptures, there's clearly moments where you use earthly leadership to fulfill your purpose, to achieve your will. And, God, I pray that's how you would use our leaders today. So, God, we ask you to bless them and to guide them and to use them. And we would ask the same for ourselves, Father, that you bless us, you'd guide us, and you'd use us. For I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, like you, I love the summer in New England. Except as a, as a preacher. Because you guys show up for church on Sunday and you're relaxed. You know, it's not like you guys are looking to be exploring these real complicated spiritual truths and all this kinds of stuff because you're just relaxed. We've got eight great weeks of weather, right? And then it turns crappy again. So we, we really got to want to let her and just relax. Besides that, many of you are going to, how, how many of you are going to go on vacation this summer? You know, and so you go on two weeks of vacation, you miss three weeks out of eight for the summer, right? I mean, so doing a sermon series where one piece builds on the other just doesn't fit too well, right? Because you're gone for three pieces of it right in the middle, and then you're wondering, what in the world are we talking about? So it makes it difficult sometimes to have an engaging series during the summer. So I'm, I'm going to revert back to something I did a number of years ago in the life of Old Chapel, and I'm just going to spend the summer looking at some of the parables of Jesus. They all stand by themselves. They're stories, right? So they're casual. You can get into them. But they convey a lot of great truth to us. I think even as they stand alone, one by one, they're just full of spiritual nutrients, if you will, for us. And there are things that we can engage with. In fact, what are some of the parables that come to mind when, I, when you think about the parables of Jesus? This great teacher. What, what parables come to mind? The lost son, the prodigal son, right? The lost sheep, the loaves and fishes, yeah? Last, lost coin, right. Okay. Is that a parable or a story? It's a great miracle. Is that what you're hoping for today is the picnic? I don't know. Just <laughs> for those of you who are visiting, we're usually not this casual. So you just have to kind of bear with me a little bit today. Parable of the sower. The rich young ruler, okay? That's a story too. What? The, okay? And the, right. I got to see your hand back there. Is that you, Zachary? The parable of the persistent widow. That's great, but you're cheating. You're looking in the Bible. <laughs> parable of the sower, the parable of talents. The list just kind of goes on and on, right? Actually, this week I did a little research. I think there's 46 different parables that Jesus taught. So we're not going to get to look at all of them. So one of the things you can do is you can go to the adult Bible class that's going to be going on on Sunday morning because they're going to be looking at the parables of Jesus. And we're going to be looking at different ones in our services. Today I want to look at the parable of the dishonest manager, as it says in our Holman Christian Standard Bibles from our, our pews or the unjust steward, as some has referred to it as. And, um, you know, as, just before I, I read this, I, I want to kind of put it in context for us. I mean, we spent a lot of time 
just after Easter in Luke chapter 15. The dominant story there, uh, the parable is the parable of the prodigal son. But we also have the parable of the lost coin, and we also have the parable of the lost sheep that's in that passage. And this is a result of the fact that a lot of sinners and tax collectors, the people that the religious folks considered to be outside of the blessings of God, all these folks were coming to Jesus, and they were being critical of Jesus, and Jesus tried to communicate what God's heart is towards those who are isolated or separated from them as he has the eagerness to go out and find them and to bring them in. He tells three stories that way. But at the end of chapter 14, the chapter before then, we see that there's, there's just masses of people who are coming to Jesus. And he talks about the cost of being a disciple. And, and here you see more and more folks in chapter 15 who are coming. So in some ways, as he gets done kind of critiquing the religious leaders and their attitude towards those who are outside the church, now those who are actually coming into the gospel, those who are coming back into a relationship with Jesus, he starts to speak to them about what does it really mean to be an excellent follower of Christ, to be an excellent follower, his follower. So he tells this story in chapter 16, and he says, he also said to the disciples, there was a rich man who received an accusation that his manager was squandering his possessions. The imagery we have is that this guy had maybe bought a lot of land outside of the city, outside of the village, vineyards and, and fields that could be harvested for wheat and those kinds of things. And so he's living in the city, kind of managing, and so he has an on-site supervisor, a manager, who's overseeing his operations, and he receives an accusation that this guy is just doing a bad job. So verse 2, so he called the manager in and he asked, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you can no longer be my manager. He says, that's it, I'm going to fire you. So three days from now, I'm making that number up, but we're, I'm, you're going to come in and you're going to give an account. We're going to hand the books over to the next guy who's going to take over your job. So go back to your office, get everything ready for this transition. Then the manager said to himself, well, what should I do? Since my master is taking the management away from me, I'm not strong enough to dig. It was, I can't go back out in the fields, wielding a hoe. You know, I'm, I'm just going to, I'm just not strong enough to do that. Maybe he never was. He certainly, at this point, maybe he's older in life. So I just can't do that anymore. He says, and I'm ashamed to beg. I'm ashamed to drop a sign and stand on the side of the street corner and just ask people for money. He says, and he said, aha, the light bulb goes off. I know what I'll do. So that when I'm removed from management, people will welcome me into their homes. That people will help me shape a new way to live and provide for myself. So he summoned each of his master's debtors. How much do you owe my master, he asked the first one. He said, a hundred measures of oil, he said. He said, take your invoice. He told him, sit down quickly and write 50. So... We don't know exactly what, how much this measure of oil was. You know, we, there's a term for it, but we don't know exactly what the volume was. The best guesses that they have is that it was probably amounted to about 875 gallons of olive oil. And it would probably come from about 150 trees. So significant amount, right? So, so sit down, cross out 100, put 50. Next, he asked him, how much do you owe? He says, well, I owe 100 measures of wheat. 
Your best guess is that a measure of wheat is the amount of wheat that you could get from an acre of land. So he basically owed amount of, of, of 100 acres of wheat. So he says, take your invoices, he told him, and write 80. Then the master praised the unrighteous manager because he had acted astutely. We'll get back to that, this idea of the unrighteous being praised by the master and kind of how the scholars deal with some of that. For the sons of this age are far more astute than the sons of light in dealing with their own people. So Jesus' point is that those who are living for this world, the sons of this age, are far more astute than those who are trying to live for the things of God. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of the unrighteous money. I think the idea there is more of the, the worldly resources that you have. You know, and, and it, unrighteous there is more the idea of that stuff that you can't take to heaven with you. And money is really kind of, the, the term underneath is really wealth, but it really kind of stands to our, for our, our stuff and our money and our abilities and our time and opportunities, all that kind of stuff. So take advantage of your earthly opportunities so that when it fails, they may welcome you into eternal dwelling. Whoever is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And whoever is unrighteous in very little, in other words, unfaithful, just botches it, is also unrighteous in much. So if you've not been faithful with the unrighteous money, who will trust you with what is genuine? And if you have not been faithful with what belongs to someone else, who will give you what is your own? No household slave can be the slave of two masters since he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot be slaves to both God and money. How many of you have ever really kind of dug into this parable before? Probably not on the top list, right? I mean, we'd rather go to the parable towns, the sowers, the prodigal son, those kinds of things, which are all great stories. Jesus is a master storyteller, but he, but he, he teaches this, he, he shares this story, and he takes experiences from everyday life, and he invests them with spiritual truth. So he picks up this imagery of a guy who's, who's just got a vast network, and he's hired somebody to run one of his farms. And the way they have that farm kind of set up, and this is how the scholars are dealing with this idea of the unrighteous manager, is that here you've got a guy who's running the farm, and he's enlisted, he's leased out land. So he's, he's got one guy who's leased the olive orchard, and he's got another guy who's leased all, uh, all this land to raise wheat on, and he's got probably others that are doing the sheeps and, and the goats and that kind of stuff, doing the livestock, and he's got it all leased out. And, and he gets this report that he's going to lose his job because he's really just been bad at it. And so what he does is he said, well, what am I going to do? I, I, I can't dig anymore. I can't pick up a hole, go back out in the field and just plant corn because I'm just going to fry and I just can't stay. It's just too much work for me. And, and I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just fade in the midst of it. So what am I going to do? He says, and I don't want to just stand in the center of the village with my hat in my hand begging people for money. And so it dawns on him, he says, you know what, I need? I need to find a way to make everybody like me so that when I'm in need, they'll help me solve the solution to my problems. So he starts calling these people in one by one, right? He said, well, how much you owe? Well, 100. Well, write 50. How much you owe? 100. Well, write 80. And, and he does that with all the different debtors. And certainly what's troubling in the past is, is, is that 
Jesus has the, the manager praising this guy, and it looks like what he's doing is swindling his master, right? So we really, praising somebody who's being a swindler, we're kind of not so thrilled with that coming out of the lips of Jesus, right? Well, I think part of it is we can minimize some of that because that's not really Jesus' point. But what they really are trying to point out, and here go all the cooks, all right? So the smoke is going to start coming, and you guys are going to get all distracted, all right? Just pay attention for a few minutes. I'll go faster because I'm hungrier than you are, all right? And some of them say, well, what really in some ways the slave, the steward, the manager was acting not only in his own interest but that of his master because what he was probably doing is, is that th there were very strict usury laws in those days. That's how much interest you could charge. And so to get around those, what they did is they probably set up some leases that were really overkill. You know, okay, you, you, we'll lease you this land, but we want 50% of what you grow. Not 10%, not 15%. We want a 50% of what you grow. And that just really wasn't fair. It was kind of outrageous. You know, others think that this guy, you know, that the, 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 the owner had said to the managers, tell him, I want 10% of the crops. And then this guy turned around and said, well, I want 30%. My master wants 30%, and he's taken 20% and given the 10% to his master and that kind of idea. And so he's, he's in some ways correcting the ways that he had been stealing from everybody else and maybe even in some ways the ways he'd been stealing from his manager. But the real point of the story has to do with the fact on how this guy responded to his situation. Jesus isn't necessarily praising his sense of, of, of being able to fudge the books, if you will, in a way that works to his favor. He, he's, not, he's not praising any acts of unrighteousness, but he's praising the sense of creativity, the sense of industrialness, the sense of entrepreneurship, if you will. The, the way the guy had gotten the most out of what he had in order to be able to make his way forward. And so we pick up really the main points of Jesus in verse 8 and 9. It says, for the sons of this age are far more astute than the sons of light in dealing with their own people. Now, here's Jesus' point. The people in the world who are doing life for their own objectives, they're far more committed far more dedicated, far more creative, far more intuitive and entrepreneurial and all those kinds of things, they work a whole lot harder at fulfilling their passions, in other words, their objectives. They're, they're living for themselves and they're all in and they, and, they, and they go to any lengths to achieve their goals. And then you come over here to the spiritual people who are living their lives for God who have a tendency to say, well, that's good enough. That's just good enough. You know, God, yeah, that's just good enough. You know, I, and I got to tell you, I, I've, I've been around churches long enough, not only as a pastor, but as somebody who served churches from a denominational perspective, to know that there are a lot of guys who will, who will spend incredible amounts of mental energy solving problems in their secular job but they'll walk into the church ministry and say, well, that's just good enough. 
You, you know what I mean? You know, it's just like, that's eh, too much work. Let's don't overthink this. Let's just, take the, let's just take the easy route. Sometimes we apply that same thing in our own lives. We, 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 we're, we're a whole lot better at achieving all of our earthly goals building for our retirement, all those kinds of things, than we are sometimes about really extending the impact of our ministry into the lives of people. So Jesus says, the people who are living for this life right now, and that's their main goal, they're, they're far more committed to filling their objectives than the people who are living for God are to fulfilling the, the objectives of God. That's his point. And here's, here's how he backs up. So, Jesus challenges them based upon, he says, I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of the unrighteous mammon, so that when it fails, they may welcome you into eternal dwellings. Now, I, I want to make a couple of points to you today from this thing. You know, Jesus' challenge is for us to take all that we have in this life, our gifts, our abilities, our time, our opportunities, the financial assets and material assets that are at our advantage, our job opportunities, our family networks. All, he wants to take all of that stuff and somehow or another engage it and use it in a way to please God, to get to a place when we get to the pearly gates, to use that imagery, God says, hey, come on in. You've made friends with those in the, and be received into the eternal dwellings. A couple things to think about related to this. Now, I, we, we don't have much more time, though. I know the cooking crew said, preach a little long, so we'll have all the burgers ready before we get done. But I, I don't want to try to do that to you today. We can just hang around and enjoy it. A couple things for you to know related to this. If you and I are not going to be people who are subject to the critique of Jesus, that the people who are living for this world now are far more committed, they're far more creative, they're far more industrious in achieving what they're looking for in this life than we are in achieving the things that matter for eternity. If, if you and I are going to change that scenario and not be subject to it, here's a couple things we need to think about. One of those, and, and I, I'm not trying to, to, to minimize this, but we really need to be careful with who we're trying to impress. Notice, notice what I just read in verse 9. It says, I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of the unrighteous man. In other words, take advantage of everything that you have right now that's under you. Your, every resource that you can, and use it in such a way that you impress not yourself, you impress not other people, but you impress the one who can accept you into eternity. That's God. You've got to really be careful with who you're trying to impress. Who, who are you really trying to do it for? You and I need to be working to impress the right people. We need to be thinking as hard about the way that Hope Chapel can really reach the masses with the good news of Jesus Christ as we would for anything that's passionate about in our personal journey. The way you might if, I don't know what your hobbies are, how, much, how hard you might work on your golf game or making a piece of furniture or restoring an old car or fixing up your house or whatever it might be. We need to be applying the same level of diligence to those things 
And this goes also true for your personal journey, the way that you impact your neighbors. Well, you know, it, it's an interesting time sometimes. Think, well, when was the last time I really thought of how can I build a redemptive relationship with the people who live down the street from me? And actually begin to actively try to work out that plan. It, it's something we don't do very often, right? Just, well, you know, if it happens, it happens. I'll try to be, you know, we need to apply the sense of diligence to all that. We need to be careful with who we're trying to impress. There's a second truth that Jesus tries to share with us. Look at this. Look at verse 10. Whoever is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And if you're unrighteous, in other words, if you're unfaithful in very little, you'll also be unrighteous in very much. Here's the word I have for you. It always matters. It always matters. Sometimes you think, well, this is just a very small thing. You know, what's, what's the... It doesn't really matter. You know, maybe I don't read my Bible the way it's supposed to, but it always matters. Jesus says, you know, if you're you're unfaithful in the little stuff, the stuff that maybe nobody would ever call you out on, nobody would ever even really notice, the things that that really probably in comparative, they don't seem to be all that consequential, but if you're unfaithful in those things, you're not going to be faithful in the stuff that really matters. So the only mindset we can have is that it always matters. And, you know, when, it, I, you know, when I was in high school and in college, I, I, I played two sports a year, and I played football, and I played lacrosse and that kind of stuff. And I will tell you the thing that we heard from our coaches over and over again. And this is several different coaches in different sports, different schools, that kind of stuff. The thing that they always said is that you play like you practice. Right? Now, the worship team, they're up here. Let me ask you, when you guys are here on Thursday night, are you guys just messing around and trying to do it wrong because it doesn't really matter? It's, it's only rehearsal, right? It doesn't work that way. It always matters. And the way that you get ready to really do stuff that matters is by doing the stuff that doesn't matter. So the way that we would practice was the way that it would come out on the field. It always matters. You know, we, we used to talk with our, our boys when they were in school. You know, they're up and out and all that kind of stuff now. But, you know, it, it wasn't so much that we were focused on their grades. It was we were focused on their effort. Because if you don't learn how to try, if you don't learn how to apply yourself, then, you know, that's, that's the skill set you really need. It matters. The way you do your English homework on Tuesday night, even though the exam's four weeks away, it matters. You know, it's that kind of mindset that needs to sink into us as we go along. Stuff always matters. The big stuff, the small stuff, always matters. I've got one more truth for you. And it really flows out of verse 13. No, no household. Well, let me, let me back up. I want to make one point out of verse 12. Be very quick with it. If you have not been faithful with what belongs to someone else, who will give you what is your own? What Jesus, part of what he's saying is, listen, if, if God's given you a job and a, and a family and those kinds of stuff, and you're supposed to work those things, and, and you're not doing the right stuff in God's eyes in that area, why, why is he going to give you a platform for huge ministry if you're not being careful with the small stuff? That, that, that's really the point that Jesus is saying. Is that, you know, God... God gives us a life to live and how we're doing it. And, and, and if we are faithful with a little, God's going to give us faithful with more. If, if, if we're taking the stuff that's just 
of this world and we're mismanaging it, why is God going to give you great spiritual truths and opportunities so you can blow those? He's just not going to do that. It always matters. But where it starts, really start is laid out in verse 13. It says, a slave can't serve two masters. So either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot be slaves to both God and money. And here's the point that Jesus is making to us. If you're going to be successful spiritually, it requires a choice. doesn't happen by accident. doesn't happen by accident. It requires a clear, conscious choice to be great in the kingdom, to be as shrewd and as astute, if you will, as the unrighteous man, manager in order for us to be the same in the way that we handle the things of God, it demands a choice. Success always demands a choice. You and I cannot be people who are going to thrive with the objectives of God unless we intentionally make a choice. And, and, and I really think that choice falls out in two different ways. One is, there, there, there's an aspect of this that's a one-time choice. There has to be a moment in your journey where you say, I choose to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I choose to acknowledge my sin before God, to accept the forgiveness that's available in Christ because of his death on the cross, and I choose to invite him to be a part of my life and for me to become a follower of Christ. It requires a choice. And, that, and, and, and the journey starts without, with that choice. And without that choice, the journey does not start. We never can be in a position to impress the right person to get into the kingdom. Because we have to choose to become a follower of Jesus Christ. So there's a, there's a, there's a once-ness to this choice. But then secondly, there's, a, there's an everydayness. There's a dailiness to it. There's a take up your cross daily and follow me. And so there's an aspect where we, 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 are, we engage God and God is in our lives. We've made that choice. We're a follower of Christ. But then every single day we need to stand and say, I don't need to renew my relationship with God because I know him as a child forever. But today I'm making a choice to live that way as we live out each and every day. That success demands a choice. If you and I are going to be the astute sons of light, the children of light, the followers of Christ that Jesus is challenging us to be, here again, you've got these hordes of sinners and tax collectors, these people who are outside of the blessings of God, at least in the minds of them. They're all coming to Jesus and they're stepping into the kingdom. And Jesus says, you know what? If, if you're going to do life this way, You've got to really watch who you're trying to impress. And you've got to really choose. And you've got to remember it always matters. No matter how small it is, it always matters. So I think the question for us today, in a nation where we are free to be as faithful as we want to be, is how astute are we being with the things of the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray together for just a minute.
God, thanks for being so eager to share your truth with us. Perhaps there's even some in this room this morning who could relate to the story connected to the unrighteous steward. They've had that moment where they've been said, get, get, get your stuff together, prepare to give us the exit interview because you're losing your job. God, we don't want to lose our job with you. We don't want to be just kind of so-so at it. We want to be astute, to use the words of our passage this morning. We want to be people who take, bring every ounce of creativity, every ounce of insight and discernment, every ounce of passion, every ounce of commitment, and bring it to bear on how you want to use our lives individually and collectively as a church for your kingdom objectives. So God bless us in that today. Help us to make the choice. Help us to make the choices where we excel for you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to invite our worship team to come. We're going to sing a closing song, and we always collect our offering during our closing time. And so you're, as the plates are, plates are passed, you can place your gifts in there. You can also um, place your connection cards in there, and we'll get those back to the office and compile tomorrow. So let's stand and sing to the Lord this morning, and then we'll go eat. All right.